So this morning I entitled the sermon, God's Rainbow. We're going to talk about God's rainbow, what it stands for, what it's originally was is there for, and what it's, I guess it's, God created it, so uh, what it's still there for today when we see him in the sky. But as I was looking at the story of Noah and on some of the good choices that he made, there's a lot of choices and people in the Bible, they just don't make the greatest choices in the world. And I'm reminded of King Saul as I was writing this sermon down, it kept coming back to my, to my mind. Saul was on his way to establish his dynasty with the Lord forever. He had what he needed, and he just needed to walk in step with the Lord, and that's what became troublesome for him. Instead, he decided to go on his own way, and the kingdom was ripped away from him and given to another, which was King David. God told Saul to wait for the prophet Samuel before he offered sacrifice to the Lord. Instead, Saul led the Israelites in the sacrifice. And by doing so, he disobeyed God as an act of rebellion. When questioned, why, did, why didn't you wait? He said, my army was running away. I listened to them. I was scared. And I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And so instead, he listens to men and not, um, and not God. So first, he didn't wait for Samuel. Second, he listened to the crowd, his soldiers, and he saved the wicked king Agag and the best of livestock when God told them specifically all those were supposed to be destroyed. And he says, uh, what is, who is this bleeding of, of sheep I hear? And he says, well... Uh, we saved those for the Lord. We saved those for the Lord. The Lord said to destroy them. And if you would have destroyed them today, your dynasty would have been firmly set, but you kept them alive, and now we have trouble. And third, the men started eating meat without first draining the lifebloods out of the animal, which Saul did correct as soon as he found out. But I think that was just kind of like a nail in the coffin. It was mentioned as well. And Samuel turns to Saul very angrily in Samuel chapter 1, verse 15 through 22 through 23. Samuel replies, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. Submission is better than offering the fat of the rams. Rebellion is a sin at sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idol. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. So interesting we see these things in here. As I thought of Samuel, because Noah was quite the opposite of Samuel. You don't, you don't read too many... Um, accounts in the Bible, like Noah actually, most of them sound more like Saul and, and Samuel, uh, the disappointment Samuel has in him. And on the other hand, Noah, he listens and obeys the Lord and it goes well with him. You see this, you do see it with the, the story of Samuel, but it ends with the rejection of of Samuel and his sons, uh, they want a king. They want a king like their neighbors. And God said that's going to happen. They're going to ask for a king. And then he gives them a warning. And it's really 
uh, doesn't really go well with Israelites. When God speaks, we have the opportunity to respond to him in obedience as we walk on this journey of life. Now, as the skit pointed out earlier, there was a flood that came. Noah had to gather the animals, get into the boat, and everything would be hunky-dory because God closed the door, sealed them in, and protected them. His hand of protection was on them. He raised them up over God's judgment, which was the water, and they were safe from that. Okay. So after the, all the water recedes and everything goes down, that's kind of chap, the end of chapter 7, beginning of chapter 8. You'll have to read that for yourself. I'm going to start in chapter 8, verse 20 and tw through 22. It says, then Noah built an altar to the Lord. Okay, this is very similar to what King Saul did. They both built an altar, but um, what do we see the difference? All throughout Noah's reign, we see obedience. Noah obeys the Lord. Everybody else is doing wicked things. Noah obeys the Lord. Everybody else is going their own way. Noah paves his own path, and he follows the Lord. Not easy to do, uh, but very important. There he sacrificed burnt offerings, the animals and the birds that had been approved for that purpose. And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race, even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood, I will never again destroy all living things. As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. The first point, one of two, I titled, To Obey is Better Than Sacrifice. We see that here. We see that often in the Bible. Uh, we see that um, another account is when David takes the, the bread off the altar and says, all I have is the sacred bread. And um, he's like, well, that'll work. And well, why does that work? Because David was in obedience to the Lord and his men were in obedience to the Lord. And so they were able to eat the holy bread set aside for the priest because it was safe for them to eat. Okay? Because they were um, not without sin, but... Uh, at the moment, they were without sin, I'll say. So what do we see Noah do right after he gets out of the ark? The door opens. You ever wonder how that door opened? I do. God closed it. Did God open it? I'm guessing he probably had to, right? What did they do? Take axes and make a new door? I don't know. If God sealed that thing, though, and it's time for it to sit down, maybe he made it built just right so when it hit the land, it split, door popped right open. I don't know. Makes more of a miracle than he's that it stayed closed all that time. We'll never know. Um, he built an ark, he built an altar, and he sacrifices to the Lord. How does he know how to build, build an, al an altar? You ever wonder that? Yeah. Probably had to get it, learn it generations passed down, but we don't see how to build an al altar until Moses, when God lays out the judicial law. Sorry, online. You're going to have to go down a little bit so I can see everybody out there. I'm tired of dancing around the camera. Uh, sorry. Woo, windy. 
<laughs> Look at verse 21. It says, The Lord is pleased with, the arm, with the aroma of the sacrifice. The result, God promises, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race, even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from the childhood, I will never again destroy all living things. As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter, day and night. God promises the seasons. He promises day and night. He promises planting and harvesting. What modern problem brings up the fears of changing seasons, changing oceans, and, and the harvest. I would say God says he's never going to do or destroy the earth through that again. I'm not, uh, I don't know. It, it's my case against global warming or global extreme weather. Um, yes, are we going to have extreme weather? We're going to have extreme weather because um, the earth is a, in a fallen state, right? So for somebody to predict that, I'm like, good for you. Right, you read your Bible. Oh, no, they didn't. It's like, that's, that's how it's going to be until, until God makes everything right. But as far as destruction from weather on a cataclysmic where the earth is going to split apart or something like that, that's not going to happen. God's not going to do that until he's ready to come back and judge the earth. And then it will be done. And we will all know the process of how that goes because we've read and studied revelation together as a body of believers and if you haven't done that on yourself you can go back and listen to what we have or heaven forbid you can go and read it yourself it is it is kind of complicated but i think after you just read it straight through you can kind of figure it out for yourself a little bit god had promised that he is not going to destroy the earth by flooding again that doesn't mean we don't need to be good stewards of what the Lord has given us, right? We need to be good stewards. That's very important. Um, but we don't have to worry about this disaster or major elements of nature destroying the earth again um, because God promised. Finally, let's look to whom he promised. I never again am going to curse the ground because of the human race. And this is the key. Even though... They think or imagine is what they imagine is bent toward evil from childhood. Is God disillusioned by his creation? No, he is not. Are we delusioned by ourselves? Yeah, we tend to be. You know, we think, oh, I'm a good person. I'm basically a good person, right? But... We are bent toward evil, yet God still pursues us. That's kind of amazing. God has to be separate from evil, yet even though when we are in that evil state, God still pursues us. Do you think that's like gives him warm fuzzies? I, I don't really think it does. It probably, maybe, dare I say, I don't know if we can pain God, but uh, definitely we can break his heart. I don't know if we can physically cause him pain, but I, I would think it's a little bit of a hardship, maybe, for him to pursue us, and he does it anyway, especially knowing the cost that he's going to have to pay, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. So we're bent toward evil, yet God still pursues us. How are we then made right 
in God's sight. Well, we're going to turn back to Romans chapter 3, 21 through 22. It says, But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. Ooh, that sounds fancy. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Right there it is. When we believe that Jesus existed, we believe that his way is right, we submit to his way, and we walk in faith with him, that's the way we can be made right with God. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. What? What if I'm a slave? Does God still save me? What if I'm the slave's master? Does God still save me? What if I'm black, white? Does God still save me? What if I struggle with sin? Does God still save me? Yeah. He doesn't want me to stay in that sin, though, does he? Right? Paul gives a grocery list in a place that kind of goes with, talks about race, it talks about stature, it talks about uh, classes and things like that. And he says God saves them all, doesn't he? So when God says we are bent on evil toward evil is before the law, meaning God knows our hearts. He didn't need the law to define our hearts. He already knew our hearts. He gave us the law so we could clearly define what was right and wrong. Okay? So with this understanding, we are separated from God. What can we do? Is God aware of our situation? Yeah, he is. Where do we place our hope? Well, let's continue reading on in Romans chapter 3, verse 23 through 26. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Okay, what is a standard? A plumb line could be a standard, right? What's, what do you use a plumb line for? Find if your wall is straight, right? Yeah? A square is a standard, right? Uh, level is a standard. Okay, all these things, you, you have it right. This Mathematics is a standard. Okay? 2 plus 2 always equals 4. Always. Right? Yeah. It always equals 4. There's not like sometimes it equals 4.5 or on a day it's not feeling quite right. It's like a 3.8. Right? It always equals 4. 2 plus 2 always equals 4. And so that standard is Christ. Christ is our standard. We have to equal his square, his plumb line. How many people today have arrived at perfection? Right, the crickets are going. But there's more to the story, isn't there? There's more to the story. And yet God, in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for the sin. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The standard just became destroyed so we can all make it in. Is that what that means? No, no, because we know the standard was built back up again and it never faltered in the first place. 
when he rose from the grave, right? God sets him back up. Let's continue on. Therefore, God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. The sacrifice shows that God was, was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. Why did, not, why did God not destroy Adam and Eve right away, right when they sinned? Because God had a plan for salvation through Jesus Christ even before time began. Isn't that exciting? God knew that we needed a rescuer before we even needed a rescue wing. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he must and he makes sin right in his sight when they believe, or makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Jesus is the Savior of the world for all time. That's why he is our standard. That's why he will continue to be to make it right. And how can we walk in that standard? Well, technically we can't, but through his grace, he allows us to wash off our sin, and be made right, sanctified, walking with him, okay? So first we're justified, justified by, so we're sinners. How many people here are sinners? I am, I'm a sinner, I'm good, I'm good at it, professional sinner. I'm not proud of it, but um, that is, I'm an expert at it. So as we walk together in that, how do I get back to right Jesus paid the price through his blood, right? I think that's, the Lord's really pressing on me this morning to, to get this across. His grace is poured out by his blood. Did he deserve it? No, he didn't deserve it. Uh, did he do it anyway? Yeah. Why? Love, right? Noah got that concept. Noah understood God's love. He's looking at all these people around that used to be his friend. Larry ain't there anymore, guys. Larry drowned with the rest of his friends. Right? And you look around, you're like, I remember Chuck. I remember uh, maybe his dad even, you know? His dad's not there anymore. He chose to go the way of the world. And that's... Think of the sorrow going through their family. It's, it's, a, it's a bittersweet. Yes, you were saved, but you lost all these people. And if you look at nations that missionaries go into and they present Jesus for the first time and they, they accept him with joy many times about 15 minutes after the joy wears off. They'll burst into tears because nobody told their ancestors. Nobody told mom and dad how to get there. And there's a realization there that we have a responsibility. Not only to, I don't want that to happen, what happened to mom and dad. I want to tell others. What, what does Jesus tell us to do? Tell others. And 
I'm thinking this particular tribe, and they said, well, we'll go if you'll go with us to the missionary. And he says, I'm not going to go with you. And he says, well, how are we going to go? How are we going to send the message? And he's like, I'll train you. And they're like, all right. So he, this is, this was over in uh, New Zealand, Indi- in New Guinea. New Guinea, that's where it was at. Uh, all these islands that are becoming from third world countries to uh, modern day uh, skyscrapers are becoming in. And uh, they kind of helped him catch up on the culture and things. As they brought in these tribes, he teaches them how to share the gospel. And these tribes that were hostile to one another, that would kill each other, they thought Judas was the hero of the story for much of the time. They teach them that um, Jesus Christ was the peace child and that he brings peace to all because he's never going to die. Because once that peace child dies in their culture, they are free to go back and killing each other. But Jesus Christ never died. He's rescued us from this present evil age. Praise God. When God speaks, we have the opportunity to respond to him in obedience as we walk in this journey of life. They understood what it meant to accept Jesus, understand the depravity of their sin, and to want to tell others so that they could walk out of that depravity. We need to have that same mindset. Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 through 17. It says, Then the Lord blessed Noah and his sons and told them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, all the animals of the earth, all the birds, all the sky, all the animals that scurried around the ground, along the ground, and all the fish in the sea will look on you with fear and terror. And I have placed them in your power, and I have given them to you for food, just as I have given you grain and vegetables. But you must never eat any meat that still has the lifeblood in it. I will require the blood of anyone who takes another person's life. If the wild animal kills a person, it must die. If any, excuse me, if anyone who murders the fellow human, they must die. If anyone takes a, a human life, the person's life will also be taken by human hands. For the Lord made human beings in his own image. Now be fruitful and multiply and repopulate the earth. Then the Lord told Noah and his sons, I hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants and with all the animals that were on the boat with you, the animals or the birds, the livestock, all the wild animals, every living creature on the earth. Yes, I am convinced my I'm confirming my covenant with you. Never again will floodwaters kill all living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the, the earth. Then God said, I'm giving you a sign of my covenant with, with you and with all living creatures for all generations to come. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is a sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. And when I send clouds over the earth, the rainbow will appear in the clouds and I will remember my covenant with you and with all the living creatures. Never again will the floodwaters destroy all life. When I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature on earth. Then God said to Noah, Yes, this rainbow is a sign of the covenant I am confirming with all the creatures on earth. Praise God for that. Praise God for new beginnings, which is our last section. So we break this down. 
So God sets, in a sense, three covenants with the people and the animals of the earth in this section. Some are old, and that he said before, and some are new. Old, how old can they be? Well, Adam and Eve, what was the covenant he said with Adam and Eve? Be fruitful and multiply. How many times has he said that in the last 17 verses? He said it three times, right? At least that I counted, right? Three times, which is a completion. It's a fulfillment, okay? So he tells us to be fruitful and multiply, okay? They needed to repopulate the earth. Does that command apply to us today? I believe it does. I don't think it stopped, okay? God is a God of life. I think the earth is set up in such a way that, and evil is set up in such a way that it is easy enough to um, kill. It's not easy enough to bring life in. So God wants us to continue to be fruitful and multiply. What about the evil of the world? I think Noah and his family knew something about that, knowing all that's going on previous to them. What about overpopulation? I think that's a God-sized problem. He will take care of it. And it will be taken care of with a little love and compassion. I think if we had a little bit more love, a little bit more compassion, we wouldn't have to worry about overpopulation. If we were to learn how to share. We're also charged with the care of the animals and of the earth. We are to be good stewards of the lands and animals. We are not to treat animals as humans, but we are to treat animals humanely. There's a difference between those two, okay? There's a big difference, okay? It doesn't mean my baby calves got to sleep in bed with me at night, but it does mean that I need to make sure they have bedding to sleep at night, okay? There's a difference there, isn't there? Now, talk to your dog, some of you, and you're like, he didn't get that lesson, right? That's why, that's why you name your dog Fluffy instead of Charles III. Charles III just spent money on Fluffy. Mom, see you, buddy. <laughs> that's mean and cruel, but it does help, I'm just going to say. Um, animals are not our equals. We are in charge to, be take, to take care of them, though, right? If you see an animal that's sick and hurt, we need to take care of that animal. If we see an animal population dying out, we need to take care of that. Dare I say even insects. Um, I think one of the biggest humane things that I've seen uh, lately is uh, taking care of the honeybees. And there's a big push to, to watch over, and I think... We're winning that battle back a little bit. And that's kind of exciting to me. Um, honeybees are really important to our, our ecology. so. But they are not our equals. I'm not going to let them have a hive in my house. I might put a hive near my house, though. They're in our care. Dare I say they are in our power. Okay, To not take care of them would be a mockery of God's creation. Not necessarily a mockery of God, but a mockery of his creation, which is inevitably a mockery of him, but not near as severe as the others. Don't eat the lifeblood. God is a God of life. Animals were not in intended for us to eat originally. But man, they taste good. 
You were thinking it, weren't you, Phil? That's right. So was I. So I said it. Uh, but this is a result of the fall and the flood. Life is in the blood. Again, this would be a mockery of God because, one, God told us not to do it. And two, um, there's something important there. Again, he tells us to be fruitful and multiply. Number two, man, some man-to-man rules. Okay? This has to do with relationships with each other. I would call these a horizontal relationship, okay? A vertical relationship is between man and God. Um, man-to-man rules would be uh, like the Proverbs. Proverbs are probably 90% filled with man-to-man rules. If you look at the Psalms, they're probably 85 to 90% man-to-God, okay? So if you want to... You ask somebody if they read their Bible, this is a little quiz for somebody, you ask them, well, do you like the Proverbs? Well, I've never read those before. Well, you should try the Proverbs. How do you like those? Oh, they're, so real, they're really, really good. Um, try the Psalms. How do you like those? Oh, I have a harder time reading those. And uh, you can kind of find somebody's walk with Christ right there. I'm willing to do, use the Lord here, but I'm not willing to surrender here. Interesting, huh? I found that uh, just observations from youth over the years. And guess what? In my own relationship, as I've grown, I was really big in the Proverbs in my 20s. I thought that was, oh, this is just the bee's knees. Look at this. Go. Uh, Read the Ecclesiastes. I thought that was right along there with it. Started reading Psalms. I don't get the Psalms. I really just don't get the Psalms. And you know, it wasn't until I became, oh, it's probably about seven years ago, that I really, all right, I'm going to dig into these psalms. Um, they're not written there for nothing, and everybody I respect that's a Christian that loves them, they love them. Why don't I, why can't I get into this? And I've learned um, how to understand the psalms better. It has a lot to do with submitting to the Lord, is what the psalms does. If you can do that, then you're good to go. So, let's see, verses 5 and 6 is that. Eye for an eye concept, okay? If, if somebody takes a life, you need to take them, and he gives you about four or five different scenarios of an eye for an eye. If anyone kills me, my death must be avenged. Why? Um, today would most say, would say, I need to be avenged or, or revenge, right? But God says, for God made human beings in his own image. That's how precious we are to him and how much he respects um, his image. That's kind of important. So we are precious in his sight. This is how much he values each one of us. Verse 7, the third time we see, now be fruitful and multiply and repopulate the earth. He doesn't just give this to humans. He gives it to the animals as well. And finally, we have the God-to-man covenant. This is the last thing we will talk about this Sunday. This is the rainbow. Yeah. So man confirms his covenant with, or God confirms his covenant with mankind and the animals, and he will never flood the earth again. Does that mean that the earth will never be destroyed? No, because he said he's going to destroy it with fire. In Revelation, we know that. 
Okay, God's going to come back again. He's going to judge the world and the rest of the evil. It's going to be put to rest. Uh, evil will be gone, eradicated. And when he does that, he will refine it with God's refining fire, and it will be eradicated. So do we need to be prepared for God's judgment once more? Absolutely. How do we do that? Well, we found out we do that through Jesus Christ and faith through him. Right? So we need to build that relationship with Jesus Christ. How do you do that? You read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, I don't have a Bible. Talk to Pastor Shane after the service. He'll get you one. All right. Let's see. I lost my place. God will destroy the earth with fire, um, but from water we are safe. He confirms his covenant with a rainbow. So let's talk about the rainbow. Why is the rainbow in the sky? Well, it's to remind us that God will not destroy the water the earth with water again. You just said that, Pastor. Yeah, I did. I just wanted to reiterate that, though. Uh, the rainbow is a promise of God's love. Hmm. Destruction, love. You're going to have to explain that one to me. Oh, I will. He is in control. He is the giver of life. Therefore, he can take it back if he cho so chooses. If life chooses evil, then it will be destroyed. If it chooses to be with him in righteousness, then we have something amazing and God will be watching over us. So he is a control. He's the giver of life. Therefore, he can take it back if he chooses. Where's the rainbow when it appears? It's in the sky, right? It's in the sky. It's in the clouds specifically, yes. The rainbow is there for a reminder. Is it there for a reminder for us or is it a reminder there for God? According to this passage, it's there for God, right? Now, does it remind us as well? Absolutely. I think that goes without saying, but which one of us needs to be reminded? God does, actually, because it says, it will remind me of the evil that you've done, or instead of looking at the evil, remind me of the covenant that I've placed here so I won't destroy you again. We're in bad shape, folks. We are in bad shape we can just forget something like that and turn back it's like i'm just glad we had world war one so we would never have world war two oh wait a minute right the world the war to end all wars that was world war one folks that's how that was what it was named and 30 40 years later we weren't far off of world war three we're still not far off World War III right now, right? We need to be praying. We need to be watching. We must be pretty wicked. Verse 16, when I see the rainbow, the, the clouds, I remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature on earth. I think it's there for God to watch, to remember that he is going to save us even though we are pretty wicked what does the rainbow say about us i will not or say to us i will not destroy the earth because of sin so let me break it down for you now there are two major world views on the rainbow at least in america i'm sure there could be more across earth growing up i had the good old Irish, isn't it? Irish, yeah. And cereal. 
Ah, the Lucky Charms, right? Frosted Lucky Charms, they're magically delicious, right? But what are we taught? What are we taught by, by Irish tradition? What is at the end of each rainbow? Ah, the pot of gold. That's right. We have the pot of gold. When we look at a rainbow, are we supposed to look down or are we supposed to look up? Supposed to look up. What's a pot of gold? Promise. Is it up in the sky? No. It's down on the earth. So we're always constantly searching for how we can be better. How can I have just a little bit more? How can I find my riches? Friends, that is a, it's like chasing after the wind. It's like chasing after the end of the rainbow. You will never find it. It will never come. You can never satisfy yourself. The only satisfaction that you can get is if you look at a rainbow and you look up. God will provide that satisfaction. It's all meaningless unless God is in it to give it purpose. The second big worldview today is that the rainbow represents the LGBT community. And if you know the Bible at all, you know that this is a lifestyle that is a mockery of God when intended for man as that they came off, what God intended life to be for man when they came off the ark. God said when you go on the ark, you go on husband and wife, husband and wife. Okay? If you want it defined, it was a husband and his female wife that walked on there because that was the only way to repopulate the earth okay it's the same today it is natural for man to be married to a woman does that mean that we condemn people that struggle with same-sex attraction or things no we don't we love them like the with the love of the lord does he love us does he love me even though I'm a lying, thieving, blaspheming fool sometimes? He sure does, doesn't he? So I need to love them just as much as they do. Okay? The, the key to that is, and it took me years, years to do this. Okay? I grew up in the missionary church. When we saw somebody sh sinning, we shunned them. That's how we did it. That's, that's how you do it. Growing up in the they came from a Mennonite background, and that's what you do. You see them sinning over there, you go, oh, oh, we're not gonna, we're not gonna pay attention to them. Um, we're just gonna, oh my goodness, walk. I can't believe what they're doing. What does, what's that turn into? Hate. It, hate. That's very good. Yes, judgment hypocrisy because soon we start gossiping and slandering we're like oh did you see what they were doing over there oh well i'm just i'm just talking about it because i don't want you to go over there okay i'm talking about it because i don't want you to do this and so now we're justifying our sins that's wrong it's that so wrong so what's right when you see your brother in sin when you see your brother imprisoned by sin, you go to your brother and say, we can walk out of this together. I'm here for you. Sometimes they'll say, I'm ready to walk out. Sometimes they'll say, I don't want to walk. 
And they're like, oh, I'm still going to be here for you. I'm still going to call you friend. And it allows me, as a Christ follower, to look past the sin into the heart of the sinner and to have compassion like Jesus does. That's how you bring somebody to Jesus, is that you're Jesus for somebody that needs it. Okay? That is the way that we find saving grace. And that is something amazing happens there so we asked before where's that rainbow again it's up in the sky right it's up in the sky it draws our eyes to God not down to earthly treasures so think about this what do we call it a rain what a rain bow yes a rain bow so I think of two things First time I was presented with this illustration, I only thought of the first one. A bow. What do you think of a bow? A bow on a present. That's the where I went with bow. Right? That's, that's yes. The other is a bow. I was going to grab one up in the youth room, and I forgot to, forgot to bring it down. A rainbow. A hunting bow. A bow used for defense. A long bow. The bow I see in the sky is in the shape of a hunting bow, not necessarily one for a present. Furthermore, it's not a bow at rest. What's a bow at rest look like? It looks like a straight line if it's a long bow. It might have a slight curve. It might actually have an anti-curve. It might be curved back the other direction, actually. A recurve bow would have a curve the other way if you let it go relaxed. And so when you string up a bow, it is bent. When a bow is drawn, it is drawn perfect. Rainbow. Right? If you have have tension equally around, the perfect bow would look like an arch. Right? Huh. Would God maybe have a perfect bow? Interesting. What? It's in the sky as a reminder of judgment. This bow is not placed in the sky like a mantle to rest. It's not placed up there in a place of rest. It's intention. And there is a price that needs to be paid for this judgment. Just because the Lord judged the earth doesn't mean that the sin has stopped. It doesn't mean that the sin is going away. Noah's eventually going to sin. God knows that. The sin that was before Noah has to be paid for. God knows that. The judgment that he places in the sky says, I will pay that, thus says the Lord. It's a costly payment which only God can pay. The rainbow is in the cloud because it's a reminder that we can't pay it. We can't pay for our own evil. Notice which way the bow is pointing. Is it pointing down toward the earth? Did God make the rainbow go this way? No, he points it up. Who's going to pay for the judgment? Those that are deserving of it? No, the one that's not deserving of it. He says, I'm going to pay. He is the judge and he's the fine payer all in one. He will pay his own fine. We're going to see that again in Abram, with Abram, Abraham in a few weeks. 
He's going to tell the same thing to him. He's going to say, I will pay that, this covenant. You put it down. You walk across. If you can be perfect, Abraham. In this case, it was Abram at that point. And Abram was like, I ain't walking across that thing. There's no way I can be perfect. God's like, good. I can work with that. You're faithful. Do you ever think he knows the cost of sin on the earth? you think God knows the cost? He knew it from the very beginning, right? His son is condemned to die as soon as he creates earth. He created us anyway. Created creation. Additionally, is a bow that we cannot shoot from the ground. Think about that. You ever try to shoot a rainbow before? You can't shoot it. You can't get there. You can't reach up to the clouds to get there. And when you reach the cloud... It's moved to the next cloud, right? It, it's gone. It's nothing that we can attain. It's a judgment that we can't grab a hold of to because we are not perfect. We are not perfect. We can't grab a hold of that judgment, and we can't take... It's too much of a cost. Could you imagine the arrow coming out of that thing? We're not going to make it, right? There's only one that can make it, and that was Jesus Christ, and he does. It cannot be shot by human hands. Only God can shoot the bow. Only God can take the shot. Friends, the rainbow is a promise of the coming Messiah. The rainbow is the judgment of sin. Jesus is the reminder, or is the redeemer who received the shot from the bow. He made the way when there was no way to be made. God will make a way when there seems to be no way. How do we know that? How can we know that when we. Did you ever sing that song? Growing up in church, God will make a way when there seems to be no way, right? Why? How do we know? Because he had it from the beginning. He did it. When Jesus died on the cross, he made a way where there seemed to be no way. Because he was perfect. He took the punishment for you and I. Jesus is the redeemer who received the shot from the bow. He made the way where there's no way. He defeated death. He overcame God's judgment. Not Satan's judgment. He overcame Satan, but he overcame God's judgment much more. When we say God's judgment, what do we mean? What's another word that we use, especially in Revelation? It starts with a W. That doesn't sound like a W. God's wrath, right? Think about this. God's anger is bad. God's wrath is final. Right? God's anger is bad. God's wrath is final. And when we say judgment and God's wrath, he will condemn them to hell and we will be in eternal suffering if we choose not to understand what it means that Jesus took the shot for us. He did it for me. He'll do it for you. Well, Shane, you don't understand. You don't understand how bad of a sinner I am. You don't know what it's, you don't know what I've done. You're right, I don't know what you've done. But Jesus does. Well, he would never accept me. He would never accept me. Well, that's not true because it says in the Bible that he would. He can't, he can't drown out my sins. They're too many. You're saying that God's not big enough for your problems? He's big enough. He's way big enough. And you don't have a big enough concept of who God is, if that's the case. Guess what? That's also called pride. That's saying that you're bigger than God is. 
That's not a place you want to be. Because when God speaks, we have the opportunity to respond to his, him in obedience as we walk in the journey of life. So we've had many things presented today. How are you going to respond? Are you going to spot, respond in submission to him? Are you willing to allow him to take the punishment for your sin? God's willing to do it. God's already done it. It's willing, are you willing to surrender that burden to him? We need to walk in obedience with him. The question has been presented to you. The choice is yours. The old saying is, I can lead the horse to water. It's up to you if you want to drink. If you need more information, you need to read the Gospels. Did Jesus live up to the character that he said he was going to? I believe he did. I've done the research. You need to do the same. If you're like, well, I'm going to trust you, Pastor. I'm going to trust that he's done this. Then it goes like this. Let's bow our heads. It says, Lord Jesus, we ask that you would forgive me of my sin. I'm an unrighteous sinner. Lord, come into my life today. Clean my life. Allow me to walk in obedience with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Lord, with heads bowed, Lord, if anybody said that today, if you just look up at me, let me know. Lord, we thank you for the new life that you brought into this congregation today. Lord, we thank you for the white rose and the new life that we have with it. Lord, we thank you that you would guide our hearts closer to you. Lord, we pray that we would... We struggle, Lord. We struggle in our sins. Lord, I pray in Jesus' mighty name that you would open up our eyes to see what you have for us. Lord, allow us to be disciple makers who want to make disciples. Let's read this together. It's in the bulletin. It'll be up on your screen. It says, Heavenly Father, thank you for giving me a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As I go through every part of this day, Help me to love you and to love the people who cross my path, starting with my family. Don't let me miss the adventures you are sending my way to live and to speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw my heart to you and the specific people you want me to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform me into a follower of Jesus who love you, who love people, who make disciples, who make more disciples, ad infinitum. In Jesus' name, amen.